Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Welcome to The Mission. You are, of course, on 102.7 FM and the station is called 3 R. My name is Gizmo D. Uh, you're with me for another week of The Mission. You've had me for the last two weeks. This will be my last week. Shout out, as always, to um, all the Wurundjeri um, and Kulin people listening uh, and all the elders listening from uh, beyond beyond the material realm and all those yet to be born uh, and all those entering entering uh, a world of eldership and leadership. Um, so a privilege to live here on Wurundjeri country um, as an Arunda man. So that's uh, that's who I am. That's where I'm from, my old man's family. Arunda mob from Bantua, Central Australia. And uh, as always, big shout out to any of my families that might be listening uh, up in Central Australia. And we're going to hear some Great music from uh, not Aranama, but from people out on APY lands. Going to feature a record um, today. Going to tell you a little bit about that project. Um, I'm going to have uh, a very special co-host as well um, for my last fill. I won't tell you who that is, but uh, she'll be here very soon. Very close friend of mine, uh, and a, and an exciting musician, artist, and performer who some of you no doubt know from. Uh, the triple r airwaves so looking forward to her um getting him i got a packed show today um i really packed it in and i'm really stoked about it i hope we're going to have enough enough space i think we're going to have enough i just have to move a bit quicker than usual but that's okay uh i'm going to have um in the first half of the show an interview with a fellow named steve ulula parker who's a bunurong descendant uh he's a surfer skater and he's also a cultural organizer and an educator um who lives down on Malau. Uh, or also known as Phillip Island. Uh, Steve works at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, amongst other places. He does lots of different work, as you'll see. But, yeah, I had a, had a yarn with him this week um, about his work on Bunrong flora and fauna education and his relationship to his country and his journey in, you know, learning and becoming a, a, an educator and facilitator in that realm um, and talked to him in particular a little bit about the Coolin seasons. I know after last week's episode on the fires, people were really on cultural burning <coughs> People were really stoked about some of that, and I had some people ask about. We want to know more about um, Coolin Country, and in particular the the, the Coolin season. So, um, yeah, I I um I took a I took the suggestion, and this week we're going to be having a chat. To um, really privileged to have a chat with a, a local um, a local member of the Bunurong people. Um, so that's a two part interview that you're going to hear in the first half hour of the show. Um, second half of the show, uh, a lot of people will no doubt know of Urim Boy, uh, and for those who don't, it is Australia's premier First Nations Festival of Arts, um, coming into, I think 2021 will be its, I believe it's third incarnation, uh, I think it went 2018, 2019, and now 2021, I may be wrong about that, it might be its second year, but, um, that doesn't matter. Because what does matter is that expressions of interest are now open for all First Nations creatives of all types for the 2021 Year and Boy Festival. 
and I am lucky enough to be speaking to the festival's creative director and another Boonwurrung leader, uh, Caroline Briggs-Martin, um, about the festival. She's going to phone in um, second half of the show at about um, at about 7.40 and she's going to have a yarn with us about what's in store for the next year and how you listeners and how you artists can participate and get involved um, because it's it's um, it's a huge festival and it's grown every year. Um, as I said, I'm going to be featuring some tracks from a project called UPK6, which was um, a record released in 2018, and it comes out of a community-driven de- uh, development and uh, media program um, out on the APY lands, which is Anangu uh, Pitinjara, Yankunjara lands, which is up southwest of my home, um, out in the out in Central Australia, but out in the west and the south towards. South Australia and and WA uh, and that cross what we call the tri-state border region there is known as the APY lands and um, this really fantastic music project's been running out of there for about thirty years um, and they've just in twenty eighteen they put out their sixth record and we're going to hear a bit more about that later in the show um, and we're going to get into the interview um, with Steve Parker pretty soon as well but. Great to have your company. As I said, my name is Gizmo D. You're tuned into the mission on 102.7 FM, 3 Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. We have a guest in the studio, as you can hear. Yeah, sneaky, random <laughs> other voice here. <laughs> um, well, let's not make people get guests too long. Um, who, who am I speaking to? You've got Alara on air with uh, with the beautiful. What's your what's your what's your name? Gizmo here? D. Gizmo D. Yeah, Alara and Gizmo D holding it down. Cool. Um, welcome. You're gonna do a little co-host with me this afternoon. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself and like say yeah. wh- who you are and what your mob is and blah blah blah? Yeah. Um, thanks for inviting me onto the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm Alara. Alara Briggs Patterson. I'm a Yorta Yorta woman. And and very proud to live on the Kulin Nations on Wurundjeri country, um, Woiwurrung speaking people, and I pay respects to those those people um, of the land on which I live and grow my food and sustain my life on. And I'd like to pay my respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, people and country ancestors and and future generations because it's a time. When we really need to remember who we are. It's so good to have you on the show. So bloody good to be I think be we, we got to be careful because we got so much to catch up on. We yep. don't want to just yarn and on and on and on. We, yeah. We'll try to do a little bit of that off, off air. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, it's good to have you in and we'll just be a little chat, you know, chatting yeah. in between sure. on the show. Um, but we're going to have a really interesting interview straight up now um, from a fellow named Steve Parker who I spoke to yesterday. Do you know Steve? No. He's Bunrong fellow who lives down on... Um, down on um, Oh, what's the island? Um, you just said Phillip Island. Phillip Island, yeah. yeah. So I talked to him about uh, a bunch of a bunch of stuff around the local um, ecology, and he works down at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Um, so I had a really good chat with him yesterday, and we're going to hear that now. Cool. So Steve, you just start by introducing yourself and talk a little bit about your mob and where you're from. That'd be great. Yeah, um, yeah. My name's Steve Will Parker. I'm a descendant of the Bindwaran, um people. And um, also Yorta Yorta, um, and my, that's my grandmother's side, and my grandfather's side is uh, Torres Strait Island from Darnley Island, so I'm part of the sailor mob uh, from up there. So shout out to 
all the crew, uh, all the Arab crew, and my family, the sailor mob. Um, and yeah, so uh, I also work at the botanical gardens as a facilitator uh, in Cranbourne, which is an Australian garden, which um, yeah, amazing place to work at, and. Um, and also just in local area in Bass Coast, I'm a, um, I have a cultural business I run here called Malau Dreaming. Um, and, yeah, just an educator and, and um, cultural worker in the area and uh, also a director of our local uh, Indigenous corporation, Urinjeri, um, Bunrurung um, Clans Corporation um, down in Bass Coast. So, yeah, I'll call it quite busy and also an artist <laughs> so yeah, yeah very very busy man yeah yeah um and and what's the what's the work that you do um at the cranbourne botanic gardens there steve um just i'm part of the the learning team there uh we do a lot of education um programs with all the schools and um and different providers education providers and um yeah, just and try and highlight a lot of the indigenous um, connections and and the bush foods and the seasons and and so on. So um, yeah, I'm, as I'm kind of there as a um, a local Bunurung person as well. So I, I'm an indigenous learning facilitator there and um, and bring to I suppose the programs that we deliver, um, the cultural programs. Um, local cultural knowledge to those programs and and so on. So we, we deliver quite a few um, education programs and we, we try and try and incorporate um, the local indigenous um, stories and and um, stories within all the programs that we're doing for learning facilitating. So um, and one of the highlights that we're going to do is try and highlight all our programs around the Indigenous seasons from our Kulin Nation and, and, and the Bunwadang, um people, which is the land that it's on. Um, Steve, I know that um, you know local Kulin people and Bunwurrung people have um, different ways of, of reading and experiencing um, the seasons um, to how you know, whitefellas read and, and document the seasonal change. What can yeah, you tell yeah. us about... Um, about the Bunwurrung mob and, and how you guys read the seasons? There's up to eight eight seasons or maybe even more, just depending on where, I suppose, those clans are based in that country um, and whether they, they do go to different areas for those different seasons. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of finding there's, there's around about seven to eight that all the cooler nations that share Melbourne... Um, sort of um, go by and then but if you go sort of regional sort of coastline there's there's other seasons that um, are with under that under that season as well so um, you can really have the seasons around your I suppose your plant life um, and so on your bush foods but also to I live on the coast we have we have the seasons around say um, the snapper season and and different things like that um, which align with I suppose some of those plant seasons as well. So we've just say January, around January, December, we we're sort of coming into kangaroo apple season, um, and the day days are longer and the nights are shorter. Um, and also too in that in that season we've got um, goannas uh, 
dulling, which is goanas, uh, more active. Um, and then you, you go into the next couple of months coming into um, probably more February, March, April, we have um, the grass flowering uh, season, which uh, the common brown butterfly comes out quite a bit. Um, and also to some of the can- our kangaroo grass starts starts um, flowering as well. So, um, and then moving on from that one, um, we come in to cornet season, um, which is a bit more of mid-year, um, and that's around our yam daisies when they when they're starting to flower. Um, when they're starting to flower, it indicates two that are ready to pick. Um, and Pernate is also tadpole, so it's around our tadpole season um, and the flux, flux lilies are flowering. Um, so that that's sort of uh, probably July, uh, June, July sort of time of year. Um, and then we go into our going season, which is the orchid season, which is... Um, yeah, probably just after that. Um, yeah, so the, that's when um, all the orchids are flowering in season. Um, and the brown, the common brown butterflies um, feed on the grasses at night. Um, and what else do we have around that time? Um, and then after that, we have warini season, or... Um, which is wombat season, and the wombats through that time, I think that's more September, October, around that time. They, there's um, a month there where they they'll start coming out through the day and and so on. But also to uh, Bundle, our creator, um, is starting to breed as well. Um, yeah, and then then there's one more after that one. I think there is. Um, and that one's the ilk season, um, and and I'm sh- I actually think them ones, the ilk season maybe around March, April, um, around that time. So, and I don't think I mentioned the bitter up season, did I? Which is coming, coming into, um, I think that's more January, February. Um, which is uh, the dry season, um, which is our cherry ballard, um, which is um, ripe to eat around that time as well, like the little red berries off cherry cherry ballard, ballard or the, the bailey tree. So. What, are, um, what, what particular season are we in at the moment? Uh, what we're in at the moment, uh, I think we just come out of kangaroo apple season. Um, and oh, it's sort of, I think we're coming into it now as uh, a lot of the kangaroo apples are um, coming up red. Um, please, no one <laughs> eat them if they're green or any of those colours. Um, but if once they're red, they're, they're, that's a time to pick them around then. So, um, yeah, it's, I think that lasts for a, a month or two. Um, and then, yeah, through the year, we've, we've got, like the eel season, um, and then there's uh, um, oh, what are, there's pornate season, which is a tadpole season. So some of them that align with animals. Um, and then there's warini season, which is um, like the wombat season, and that 
that runs for about a month where the wombats will come out during the day. You'll see them through the day. Um, but, um, yeah, any other time of the year, you won't see them through the day. So, um, yeah, they all sort of vary um, from different clans also. So. And it seems like um, you know all the all the different things that mark the transitions into new new periods and new seasons of the year um, are largely to do with you know edible edible um, flora and you know some of the some of the animals and the fauna that you know maybe people eat or maybe people just have those relationships with maybe totemic relationships as well as kind of more food relationships. Like it seems like yeah. it's a it's a sets of seasons that are you know the transition is grounded in. What is essentially the, the the local economy? You know, like that's this is what yeah. this is how the how how blackfellas back in the day would have actually experienced their day to day kind of economy, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's through those those off seasons, it's maybe preparing different things for the season coming up, and um, yeah, and, and reading the, the land as well, and knowing um, different um, different trigger triggers that will tell you that that season's coming up so um and a lot of our people have been doing that for thousands and thousands of years um what the i suppose the bush shows them that oh yeah it's coming up to this season so start looking out for this or that or you need to get this going or something like that so it's um I can imagine that if if people are like you know in, interacting with the waterways you know getting particular types of fish or reels or whatever. I imagine that if you know that season's coming up, then it's you know it might be time to do particular um, building or making of the kind of stuff that you need to like catch that fish or you know and then then you have to look to you know what's the what are the plants doing? Do I have the materials to make that kind of stuff? So it's all pretty integrated, eh? Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I know this. I think it's uh, what maybe the wattle flower um, when that starts flowering. That's a it's a sign of when the snapper are coming through down my way, sort of thing. So that's well, yeah, you can tell from those things, um, different flowers, and which will set off the season. And you know that's a, you know, they're coming through, migrating through that that time. So, yeah. And you do, you, um, you and your family do much um, fishing and 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 collection of other kind of foods down down your way. Uh, try try to do as much fishing as we possibly can, but. Um, no, I haven't haven't done the last couple of months, which these days a lot of the fish that you get get getting off boats. So I do have quite a few mates that have boats and um that always hook me up with a with a good good feed here and there. But um I'd like to get into it a bit more. Um if I if I could to have the time to, I suppose doing the fishing while you you're at home. So yeah. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Yeah, so the UPK as uh, a music and a community wellbeing project has been running out on APY lands um, through a central Australian media company called PY Media and supported by uh, Ngunnapa Health and NPY Women's Council. And they've been going since 1989. And UPK stands for Uankara Palyanku Kanichaku. My Pinja pronunciation is okay, but it's not great. But that translates as everybody creating and holding the future. 
uh, as a community device strategy for health and well-being. And part of what UPK do is they make these records of local music out in the desert on the homelands. So that's out west of Alice Springs um, and into WA in South Australia. First record was made in 89, as I said. And that UPK 6 album, which came out in 2018, was recorded at Westbore Outstation, 15 kilometres west of Fregon, between June 4th and 15th, 2018. Um, yeah, and it's just like it's just like really rock and roll kind of feel good music, and like um, it comes out of this community strategy of like health, well being, um, you know, working, working, working to like provide good life for the future of the community and working together. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually a little there's a little dedication that I found online. I just want to read that out um, before we go back into part two of that interview. Um, and it just it says UPK six is dedicated to the memory of Roger Kunmanara Kayapipi, um, who established the Camel Enterprise at Westbore, where this was recorded. Uh, and he was a renowned and respected man of high degree. His many achievements, his traditional standing, and the rich history of Westbore made it a perfect central location to capture music from the APY land. So just shout out to all the mob out at Westbourne and Fregon if you're listening. I'd be surprised if you're listening, but you might be listening, probably listening to Karma Radio up in Central Australia. Um, and just pay respects to that um, that old man, Roger. Um, and, yeah, special shout-outs to the UPK6 project, which has facilitated, produced, and engineered um, that work. Um, yeah, so we're going to hear a little bit more later in the show. And we're also, before the hour is out, we might hear some uh, new music from Alara herself. What can you tell us about that, Alara? Well, it's it's in relation to a lot of the things, especially to the seasons and, and the food stuff that um, our mob still eat and used to eat. Um, the song is a little bit about the Murnong plant. So keep your ears out for um, for that. We're, we've Yeah, I'm just blubbering right now. I'm like really and you, But that's, and that's, <laughs> that's unreleased, yeah? It is unreleased. It's a sneak. It's a sneak peek. Like if you're listening right now, you are a very lucky person because I'm not going to give permissions for the track to to go into the recorded version of the interview for for the stream um <laughs> so it's a surprise track yeah and, um farm so i hope that you guys like it and that it rings some truths to your ears yeah man we might talk a little bit more about that um before the hour's out cool. we're going to listen to the second half of this interview from uh steve parker now um so yeah let's get it underway triple r And what are the ways that um, you've been able to come into this knowledge yourself and and be able to be the you know the custodian and someone who passes on this knowledge? How how did you how did it come about that you um, were able to learn this stuff? Uh, passing on stories, um, a lot of a lot of yarns with um, I suppose elders and different mobs, um, and then also doing research through I suppose my position that I'm in at the gardens as well, which, yeah, that's that's something that I really wanted to get my knowledge on as I, I didn't have that full knowledge of our bush foods and, and so on, and it was something that I really wanted to um, sort of get more knowledge on and, and this opportunity come up, so I, I, I kind of jumped at it, and it's, um, yeah, so a, lot, a lot of research, but also a lot of yarns with the elders and, and different... Um, people from different areas, from different clans, and and um, other people that work in that industry as well. So, working at the gardens is is amazing. Just being able to um, have a yarn with the staff and volunteers, and um, 
some of the people from the from volunteers group, the growers group, and and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's just been um, yeah a bit of an amazing journey and and learning those those things. So. And do you find that um, even living on the country as we do now, um, you know, a couple of hundred years after the beginning of invasion and settlement, how um, how true and how sort of relevant do you um, find that the country is in in that botanical sense and in the flora and fauna? Um, you know, is it still is it still um, you can still keep track of the changing country with the seasons? Yeah, well, where I'm, I live on Phillip Island, Malau, and and I've I've seen some of the seasons change quite rapidly over the years. Like even like we have a um, <clears throat> the Biden season where the shearwaters migrate here um, at a certain time of the year. I think it's around November, um, and that they turn up this year. And and then other years where we've had snapper season that's been late a couple of months um, or early compared to other years, um, like two months early or, or something. Um, yeah, I suppose it's it's a change. It does change um, with the, with what's happening in the world. I definitely think global warming has something to do with it. Um, and then looking at what what's happening in our country at the moment um, is yeah. I, I was having a conversation today with someone. It's like they're, they're ripping out our water from our tablelands. It's Growing up a country and and our country's getting hot, so it's um yeah it's I think all the evidence is there and um and it's right in I think everybody's agrees with it and um I think everybody needs to start making some changes and and very mindful of what what the impact they're going to do or whatever they get doing is going to have on their environment for their 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 kids and their so um, I think it's we've probably left it a little bit late, but um, yeah, it's definitely um, changed from what I understand. And um, yeah, do you find that um, through your work you've noticed that there's been uh, an increase in um, you know people's interest, both as individuals but as organisations, like people's non-Aboriginal people's interest in learning this kind of cultural knowledge from people like yourself. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think um, I, I'm a strong believer in in our our culture is sharing our culture with the wider Australians to um, so they they respect and understand our culture and um, and the, the the diversity of it in all areas um, from the different languages and and the different beliefs in different clans and um, it's a, it's. It's a long process, but I think uh, it's definitely a, something that a lot more people are, are going out of their way to to learn. And because I think a lot of the history that a, a lot of people did learn in schools and and so on, I definitely when I went through school was not the same as what's going through school now. So um, I, I was learning about the Cook and Captain Cook and so on, and and then there'd be someone ask something about the Aboriginal people in the class or something get mentioned and you'd be get looked at in the class and ask questions it's like um yeah yeah i think i think a lot of us still experience that sense of being um a sort of an involuntary spokesperson on matters that we may or may not know um 
the answers to the particular questions that people have or may or may not, um, you know, feel that it's the right yeah. time for us to answer those questions. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, sometimes it's, yeah, and even even coming into workplaces and, and that's something that I, I'm, I always communicate to some, if I'm in an Indigenous position, sometimes you're, you're, you're doing a lot more than what that position entails and and working more hours than what, what they sort of understand. Because you're in the community, you're, you're always... <laughs> If you're in that position, you're always working in that way, I suppose, sharing that knowledge and, and understanding. Um, yeah. And what are the areas, like down around where you live, what are the areas that you're most, um, that you feel most um, sort of affinity with and that you have, you know, a lot of, where you have, where you spend a lot of time or you feel most confident in your knowledge around? Um, oh, oh, a whole range of things. Like as, as an artist, um, um, I'm sort of painting my my story, my journey, and and my country, and and I suppose through that art as well is um, understanding of our our country and how that's how it works, and I suppose the the stories and and so on, um, and just around the ocean. Um, of sort of 14 years or so, I, I was running a, a statewide program with all our mob. Um, in Indigenous surfing, and um, I was able to travel my coastline. My coast, well, the coastline of Victoria was my my office prison, pretty much, and it was probably one of the best jobs and dream jobs that you could ever um, wish upon. And um, I was able to get results with participation-wise and and so on. But it was it was about um, hanging out with our mob and giving them knowledge of my experiences with the ocean and surfing and, and giving them water safety and but also um, listening to them and their stories and, and their and their culture in their areas from their clans and, and so on and listening yeah, it's yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty amazing journey along the years. <laughs> but I suppose my, my main interest is around um, yeah, community and um, arts and and our culture and um, and the ocean, I suppose, um, and and linking, I suppose, sharing our culture and and educating. Um, that's probably my my most strengths. So. Why do you think it is important for, um, in particular, for non-Aboriginal people to um, come and integrate some of that knowledge in you know at places like the botanic gardens? And what do you, how do you think it can change? Um, you know the society in the world that we live in. Um, I suppose through through those traditional, like looking at what our country actually, our indigenous foods, our our plants that were that need to be introduced, that were have been here forever, and and I suppose tapping into those that <coughs> traditional way of living. Our our ancestors have been living off this country for thousands of years, and. And the and a lot of the natural foods that come from our or indigenous foods that come from our our country are, are superfoods. They're they're true. They're healthy. They're you look at our pictures of our ancestors many years. They're very lean. They're 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 healthy. And 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 it's now well since I suppose um, it's been colonised. It's there's been sugar and all this other stuff and artificial 
side of things. And then I suppose a lot of plants that have been introduced to Australia that aren't from here. And I see I see some of that those trees and plants uh, are dying off now, and, it, and it's taken 200 years. But I suppose our bushes <laughs> say, no, you're not part of our our, um, our sort of bush. So I think it's yeah. I think connecting and to the the environment and the the native side of our country and um, yeah, we've got to connect to it more and listen to it more. I think. Would you say that um, sort of the the Bunwurrung and other clan groups from around um, you know this area around what we call Melbourne and down on the Mornington Peninsula, um, you say that there's a there's a strong um, a strong sense of um, like revitalization and and people young people and older people investing in that cultural knowledge and and you know really taking taking care and um and and doing the kind of work that you do is there a lot of people interested in that kind of work at the moment oh i suppose there is yeah um yeah there is a lot of interest in that that side of things now um but there's also politics that happens within our our, our mob and um just i suppose um, knowing the the real stories and the right right um, people for that country and and so on um, is a key thing that I think everybody should really identify and and um, yeah but yeah there's a, it's definitely getting a lot more popular I know in my area it's it's something that's constantly getting asked um, where's the local indigenous history and the interpretation and signs and all that information and, and that's something that I think is that needs to be more highlighted um, and international visitors are constantly looking for that that those stories so yeah and I think I think we have to embrace it as a as a nation and um, are there places where um, people can go uh, online to um, I guess are there online resources where people people can go if they can't come in to, um, you know, to, to, to the gardens or to do work on country, are there places where people can come and learn about the seasons or um, about different bush foods and that, that kind of thing? Yeah, jump on online. You can visit um, visit the gardens, Royal, Royal Botanical Gardens um, site at Clarenburn or, or the Melbourne site. Um, and there's different programs on there that, or information that you, you can... Um, Look up and and tap into, and then there's I suppose there's different um, partners in different areas um, that might you might be able to lead from from that site. Um, but maybe uh, tapping into your local land management groups and and so on, and and just um, meeting them and and creating connections through the, through those and and come come out to the the botanical gardens and check out the the great Australian bush that we that our country has to offer and um, yeah just please make sure you take all your rubbish home and and respect um, the garden and respect animals in the garden and respect our environment for um, for our kids and their kids to for the the greater future so I just hope everybody has starts thinking a bit more differently into the future about everyday living and and what that impact is having on our environment. So, yeah. Hello, you're listening to Triple R, which 102.7. Now, 
I can tell you that Year and Boy, uh, which is one of Australia, which is Australia's premier First Nations festival of the arts, um, will be on again in 2021. Um, and expressions of interest are now open for First Nations creatives of all types um, for that 2021 season, that festival. Um, and I have on the line with me um, Caroline, uh, Caroline Briggs-Martin, uh, who is Bunurong custodian and the creative director of Year and Boy First Nations Festival. Um, welcome to the show, Caroline. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, and I've also got in the studio here Alara, who um, I gather you programmed as part of um, last year's festival opening. I did. I did. Alara was absolutely amazing, and we hope to have her back again and again and again. Hello. I'll come back again Hello, and again. Darling. Yeah, I know you will. <laughs> we couldn't do it without you. You're a talented young woman. Oh, too nice. How was that for you, Alara? Because I was at it, and it was a pretty spectacular opening. It was a really beautiful one down at the um, meat market. Um, how was it for you to perform? For me, it was like one of the most epic performances I've been a part of. It was in the meat market and there was like four podiums um, at the two long ends of the meat market and there was me um, and the dancer and then there was um, the... Suri? Yep, Suri. And there was Monica Caro and Deborah Cheatham. And Deborah Cheatham's got a um, beautiful opera voice, hey? Incredible opera voice. And I composed this piece um, specific for the festival. It was really quite upbeat and I was like um, hitting my fist and my double bass and, um, I, and yeah, singing and making some breath sounds, which I really enjoy. But um, the epicness of having these four people and the lights and the whole curation of it was just incredible. So definitely, oh. yeah. I loved it. And Caroline, that was that was your first festival as um, as artistic director, is that right? Yes, it was. It was my first uh, festival as creative director, and I actually also um, curated the the event, the opening. So I feel incredibly proud. I mean, it was an incredible way to start. I actually also curated the look and the feel too. So. Um, yeah, epic, and people are still talking about it. So it was a really good way to start the festival, but it's something that actually resonated throughout it, so it was incredible. And what can you, you know, can you tell listeners a little bit about Year and Boy and, and, and what it means to you and, and um, you know, what it is like for you to be to be, um, to be be creative director of that project? Um, so for the festival? So yeah, for the uh, festival. Yeah, Year and Boy's First Nations Festival is, like you said in your opening, um, the Australian, the only Australian First Nations-led uh, festival, which actually works to well works to promote First Nations um, magnificence, really. So all genres, and it went for eleven days, and uh, so eleven days of awesomeness, of deadliness, and. Over, I believe we catered to more than over 250 First Nations artists. So, yeah, epic. And I absolutely couldn't have done it with my most magnificent Year and Boy First Nations uh, producers, of which are all First Nations. So, incredible, incredible. And and I love the, I absolutely love the opportunity to actually showcase who we are and the sophistication of who we are, the slickness of who we are and provide opportunities for our people that don't always get opportunities in mainstream festivals. And what's incredibly 
significant about this is that it is all First Nations and First Nations led. And what are the um, what are all the different art forms that you, that people can um, look forward to seeing in the festival? Well, we're actually in development year at the moment. So the last festival, I can only talk about the last festival in that we actually had, you know, heaps of musicians, theatre. Um, we ended the festival on Miss First Nations Australia um, in Melbourne, which was incredible. I mean, the whole field. We had um, hip hoppers. We had uh, young young women, young men actually performing. We took over. We did an incredible big blackout of Melbourne, um, whereby we had performers in all different spots. We had 80 performers on the day, uh, including Arts Centre Melbourne, in places that you would never expect. We had a, a um, runway show of... Sorry, motorbike. Um, we had a, a runway show in in laneways. We had, um, and when I say runways, we had fashion parades. We had a black makers market, uh, weaving. Like there's everything, everything for everyone. And uh, um, the yeah, the expression to anything else. Yep. So the expressions of interest um, are open now, uh, and they're open mm. till uh, I think sometime in March. Yeah, is that right? March. Yep, March the 20th, well, to the end of March. And they're open, we're, and as I said, we're actually in development year. Uh, First Nations Festival, Yurumboy is actually a biennial festival, so our next festival will be on the 6th to the 16th of May. But in the lead-up to that festival, we're in development and we're always looking for First Nations artists to actually express an interest, not necessarily just for these commissions, but if you want to be in the festival, just express an interest, get on our website and and let us know. But we're currently doing a call-out for expressions of interest from artists, collectives, creative communities um, to to develop something this year that will actually be world premiered in uh, March 2021. And what we're actually offering and the expressions of interest are for is for five, five creatives to, you know, create something, uh, develop something. And each, each person that is actually uh, successful with this commission will all be awarded $18,000 to assist them to develop something. And what we've actually found from the last festival that if you're successful with that $18,000, then you're actually um, also successful predominantly to access other funding from Ozco or Creative Victoria. So it's pretty big. And last year, our 2019 Year and Boy Commissions were Daddy by Joel Bray. Which I've Nine seen, years. and it, it's, it's wild, and it's a really fantastic and huge piece of work. Oh, yes, stunning. And it's actually coming back as a part of Midsummer. Yeah, I saw that. Posters up, yeah. What were the yeah. other ones? Uh, so we had Night River by Mark Colesmith. So I don't know if you got an opportunity to see him. It was incredible. That was all his work, music, film, song, uh, one-man show in relation to the significance of his country. It was incredible. Um, who else did we have? We had The Honouring by Jack Shepherd, which was... I mean, they were all incredible. Jack Shepherd did a theatre piece on 
youth suicide and suicide that had um, had touched his own family. And it was a way, and he did it in such a way that that enabled you to engage in it um, in a in a different way than just. Because he actually uh, had puppetry. Um, he used puppets. To... He's a very diverse and talented um, performer, oh. Jack. He really can do a lot of different things. Oh, absolutely. And, and the reason I feel like I'm a little bit stuck on it is because he is so so incredible and diverse in, in everything that he actually does. The honouring uh, touched me very significantly as well because it also had suicide in the family. But it was an, a way to express suicide, which was which he did call the honouring. So it was about honouring those people. It was, it was absolutely mind-blowing. We then had um, Nyoka Bunda Heath, who actually did Blood Quantum, which was actually a very personal story that she developed with her mum on The Stolen Generations. So the four, the four that we had were incredibly different, diverse uh, and equally stunning. So, and this year we've actually opened it up to one more, so we're we're actually going to develop um, enable people to develop five shows. So people are really being asked to pitch something um, really ambitious, and um, you know, with with the support financial, but also you know, mentorship support of of Year and Boys a festival and the, and the you know the, the Black Theatre community and the Black Arts community in Melbourne. They've really been invited to. Um, to take a big step forward and develop something that um, you know will, will have its world premiere um, at Year and Boy, but you know has has a chance to really develop into something else. And I know that these kind of programs, I know from personal experiences, they can really be um, a real kind of slingshot into um, a bigger, broader practice as an artist. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look at Jack actually did his this one man show. Mark Cole Smith, you know, people actually see him as a television actor and yet his incredible talent just resonated as a one man man show. He actually really put himself out there um for the first time um to express all the genres of art that he's actually really passionate about. Incredible. Um, so we, we get to, we got to wrap up for time, but thanks so much for speaking with us, Caroline. And where can people find um, the links to get the get their expressions of interest in for Year and Boy 2021? Okay, so you can go to our Year and Boy Facebook page, or you can also go to uh, visit our Year and Boy website, which is yearandboy.net.au. And we we you know, and if you're not selected for this. as a part of this five, I'm sure that we'll actually find other opportunities to ensure that you actually get the opportunity, sorry, to be be in the festival. But, yes, please, uh, anything that you're thinking about, anything that you've been wanting to do for for a long time, here's your chance. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Caroline. No worries. Thank you for having me. So good to talk to you. See ya. You too, darling. Take good care. Talk you to you too. soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Caroline, Martin, uh, Caroline Briggs-Martin, um, the creative director of Year and Boy Festival and Punarong leader. Hey, Alara Yo. Briggs-Patterson, hey. Um, how about we go out on a little bit of your track and yeah. before we fade and throw to the next crew? Sounds is that all right? Because yeah, that sneakies. way it won't be the whole thing. Yep. All right, man. Um, so this is Murnong Farm mm-hmm. and it's by Alara. This has been The Mission. I'm Gizmo D. Uh, I'll see you another time because I'm out of here. This is my last fill. Keep it locked. Community Radio for Life. You're on Triple R.
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>